listening to Venture Church Podcast. For more information, visit www.jointheventure.com. I will never forget standing in front of a mirror, kind of like this, and, and I had my mom's hair cutting scissors in one hand and a big chunk of my own hair in the other. It was in the 10th grade. And, and in the 10th grade, I, was, uh, I, I considered myself a bit of a, a Seattle rocker, a little bit of grunge rock and roll, throw me into a flannel shirt and some Doc Martens, and I was good, right? And, but I'm also kind of this guy who was kind of an impulse kind of guy. I had this long hair. I saw it as a bit of my trademark, you know? I had this long hair. It's who I am, and it's, it's grunge, and it's, it's my identity, and don't judge me. And, but I also had this, like, flair for adventure. And so I remember standing in, in front of the mirror and thinking, I'm going to cut my own hair. Tenth grade. You shouldn't make big decisions in tenth grade. Any big decisions. But I'm in tenth grade, and I go, I'm going to cut my own hairs, and before I can change my mind, I'm going to do it. So I reach into the drawer in my, my parents' bathroom, and I grab the scissors, and shoo, big old chunk. And yeah, I remember the first feeling was this exhilaration, like, yeah, I did it, woo! Ah, followed directly by the feeling of, oh, man. <laughs> because it, it occurred to me at that point, I don't know how to cut hair. <laughs> so, so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay, okay. So I began to panic. But at the same time, I had to keep my cool. So I was balancing between that, and I was like, okay, here's the thing. I- I'm artistic, right? I can do this. And haircutting is really just all about symmetry, right? So sh- took a big chunk out of the other side. That didn't work. That wasn't what I was going for. And I was like, all right, well, I'm committed, so here we go. So I just start chunk, 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 and chunk after chunk. My hair is just falling into the sink, and I'm cutting my own hair. And the whole time I'm thinking... Oh my goodness, what am I doing? In fact, at one point, my mom walked in the room and she said the exact same thing. Oh my goodness, what are you doing? To which me and my 10th grade self, full of confidence, I said, don't worry, mom, I got this. And my mom did what I think every mother should do to an overconfident high school boy. She said, all right then, well, I'm going to bed. <laughs> and she did it. she left me there with scissors. So I just cut and cut. The end result was hideous, man. It was, it was terrible. I just had big old chunks out of everywhere. I remember walking to school, into school the next day, and one of my best friends um, <laughs> was, was there to greet me at the door, as, as he typically was. And as soon as I walked to the door, he just said, who cut your hair? A drunk monkey? <laughs> and yeah, that was me. I was the drunk monkey. I was cutting my own hair and saying, man, it was terrible. And I, you know... As much as I tried to put on a face and be like, yeah, I'm cool with this, you know, like I listen to Red Hot Chili Peppers, and if you know about them, maybe you've seen them, and their bass player Flea often just, I think that's his hairdo he likes to do. He's like, I'm just going to, and so like, I was like, but you know what? I was not as cool with it as I put on. I was actually really embarrassed. People made fun of me, people laughed at me, especially people that weren't my good friends, and they were just, ah. So that evening, I went home, and my dad took me to a, a sober human barber, and he basically shaved my head because that's all he could do. Have you ever done something and made a fool of yourself because you just didn't take the time to stop and think and everyone in the room goes, yes, right, we have. And maybe you haven't done anything dumb like just, I'm just going to cut my own hair. I'm, I'm what, 15, 16 years old. I'm just going to cut my own hair. Like maybe you didn't do that, but you've probably done something else. And you look back and you regret it and you're like, man, things would have been different if I would have just slowed down and made a decision based on some sort of, I don't know, thought process. 
We're in this teaching series right now uh, called Wise Words from a Former Skeptic. And uh, if you were here last week, you might have heard that basically this series is uh, a teaching through the book in the Bible called James. James was a, a biblical writer, uh, but before he was a biblical writer, he was two things. First, he was the half-brother of Jesus. Like they had the same mom, Mary, but they had a different dad. James's dad was Joseph the carpenter, and Jesus' dad was God. God. And so they were half siblings. And that was one thing. He was, he was Jesus' half brother. But the other thing that we kind of know about him is that he didn't really buy into the whole Jesus thing at first. He was a bit of a skeptic. There's a passage in the book of John, the book of John in the Bible that just says, you know, his brothers didn't believe in him. But something happens from the time that he didn't believe in his brother Jesus and the time that he wrote this book that is now in the Bible bearing his name, James. And here's what I believe it was. I believe, one, he witnessed and he saw Jesus' miracles and the signs that he performed, and he just said, there's something different about this man. And then Jesus died and rose from the dead. And the Bible tells us uh, Paul, who was a missionary around the world, writes in the book uh, that he writes to the city at Corinth, he says, Jesus rose from the dead. He began to appear to some people. And one of those people was James. James becomes a leader in the church. In fact, the city of Jerusalem, which was kind of the hub of Christianity, James was like the lead guy there. You might call him like the pastor of that church. And he answered questions and letters from people all over the world who had questions about Christianity. They would write to the church of Jerusalem, and the elders there would respond to that James goes from being a complete skeptic to being completely sold out for who Jesus was and eventually gives his own life because he believes that Jesus is the Son of God. How do you take that type of transition? Where do you take that turn? I think it happened for, Jesus, for James when he realized that Jesus was who he said he was. And, and, you know, maybe that's something that you're dealing with right now. Maybe you're like, I get the church thing because it's community and, you know, churches are good, right? They, they help the environment maybe. You know, I don't know, churches are good for the world, but maybe Jesus is not something that you're completely sold on. And, and you know what, that's actually exactly why we exist, Venture Church. We want to be church for people who don't like church, church for people who like, you know, I might not go to anywhere else in church, but at least I have fun here. And while you're here, I hope that you can hear some things about God and about Jesus specifically that are true. And, and um, maybe James can be an inspiration for you. And you can look at a guy who was completely a skeptic and learn some things about Jesus. And so that's what we're doing. We're going through this book of James. Uh, we're we're going to start out uh, in, in the book of James, chapter 1. And so if you've got a Bible with you this morning, uh, grab it and turn to James. It's near the end of your Bible. Um, if you don't have one with you, it's totally cool. We're going to have the scripture right here on the screen behind me. And maybe you don't own a Bible, or the Bible you do own is written in a really old type of English, and you have a hard time following it. We have free Bibles, just like this one right here, uh, just scattered around on the floor underneath your chairs or at one of the tables back there with the host team that you could pick up for free to we want everyone to have a good Bible that they can read. So please feel free to do that. We're going to be in the book of James. We're going to be wrapping out chapter 1 today. Uh, if you missed the first part of chapter 1, uh, check it out on our podcast. I think it would be something that can catch you up. But I want to go ahead and jump right in and see what James has to say, the former skeptic. We're going to be in James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, but slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and all the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word of God that was planted in you, which can save you. Have you ever been with a kid in a convenience store or at a candy shop and they're trying to decide what candy they want to get or what snack? And you're standing there and you're just like, 
this is taking so long. Would you please just pick something? I remember being with my dad, and I had the hardest time deciding because it's like, okay, do I want, do I want uh, you know, fruity or chocolatey? And do, and do I want sweet or salty? Or if I do choose candy, do I want like something that's, that's a hard candy or something that's a soft candy? For me, it always came down to Skittles and Starburst. Like, and I think they're actually the same exact food, uh, whatever it is. It's the same. It's just one's a little harder than the other, but I love them. But my dad would be like, come on, Chris, we don't have all day. You got to decide. Let's hurry up. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. We can't spend all day here. And I'm like... Wait a minute, this is important. I'm trying to decide my candy. You ever been in that moment? And you know, there are some things in life that we can see this great dichotomy in where there are some things where on the one hand, we take a lot of time to really think through our decisions. And on the other hand, we make the decision so quickly that it's like it doesn't even matter. And that's the great dichotomy, the things that we do quickly and the things that we do slowly. And that's what James addresses here. He says, look, you need to be quick to listen, but slow to speak and slow to become angry. There are some things that you need to act on quickly. There are some things that you need to take your time and think about. And the things that we do slowly, well, they're the things we tend to put more thought into, right? Why? Because I might only have one chance to get this right, so I want to take my time to do it. It's why we should be fairly careful about who we date and who we decide to marry or what job or career we want to go into or what degree we want to have in college, and that's why you run into a lot of college uh, sophomores, juniors, and even seniors who are like, I still haven't quite decided what I want to do. Why? Because it's pretty important, and we want to take our time, and that's okay. Those other things that we do really quickly and so James, the former skeptic, is saying this. You know, I wish that I had had this advice uh, many times in life. Like maybe when I was about to cut my hair. Or maybe when uh, I was just in school and doing any number of things. Or I don't know, about a thousand other things in my life. I wish that someone had just shot, set me down and said, listen, you need to take your time and think about some things. Before you make some important decisions. And so he says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I want to unpack that just a little bit if we could today. This thing about speaking and listening is so brilliant. Like, you know, we can learn so much more by listening than we do by speaking. What if we applied this more in everyday life? If we applied the idea of listening more than we speak, what if King George III had listened to the American colonists when they said, no taxation without representation? Like, we might still be part of Great Britain, right? They're like, oh, that's a pretty good idea. Yeah, let's send some representatives over here. Let's see if we can work this out, right? And I think that that would have been a great idea. It would have changed the course of history. How many kids and young adults don't listen to advice of their parents who are older and wiser than them, half of them? I know I haven't always, right? And, you, and if you are a parent, you're like, yeah, I know, I know. And they're sitting right next to me right now, and they're not even listening to you. That's why I made them come to church today. Like, and we just listen. But, you know, on the flip side, how many parents just don't listen to their kids, like our kids have stuff to tell us. They're not idiots. They're smart, and they know what they want, and they know it sometimes even what they need. And sometimes we just need to stop because if we don't ever listen to our kids, it can drive a wedge between us and our kids. And so listening, we learn so much more through listening than we do through speaking, but we don't always pay attention to that. It's wise to listen, and it's wise that as we listen, we take our time before we make decisions. I wish I could say that I was really good at choosing which things to do quickly and which things to do slowly, uh, but I'm not always. Sometimes I'm kind of an impulse kind of guy. I cut chunks out of my hair without thinking about it, right? And I look around the world or the world around me and I see that probably most of you are not very good at deciding that either, right? We're a world of people, especially the way we are in America. We just make quick decisions. You want to see evidence of this? The $5 DVD bin at Walmart. That's evidence of this. Because you walk by, you're like, whoa, $5 DVDs. I need them all. 
And they have all the Terminator movies. I need all the Terminator movies right now. In fact, I need them all, all of them. All of them, this one has special features. Ooh, I'll probably watch all these before I go to bed tonight. And you walk away and you spend your money and you don't watch the DVDs. And then at the end of the month, we're like, why am I short on rent again? I I had the money in the bank. Why? Because we make impulse decisions. But we take this type of attitude into more important and even dangerous parts of our life. Like sometimes we take it into relationships. And we're like, oh, the first person walks by looking good enough. All right. And you go off, and I, you know, I'm curious, how many of us re- regret a weekend fling or a one-night stand that we're just like, oh, man, I wish I really would have thought about that a little bit more. And when we take these decision-making skills or lack of skill into some of these areas of our life, we can really hurt ourselves and we can hurt other people. And this mindset can be dangerous. What I've observed is that when we make a habit of making quick choices, our lives can become shallow and unfulfilling. I'm going to say that again. When we make a habit of making quick decisions, our lives can become shallow and unfulfilling because we just jump from this thing to that thing, from this thing to that thing, from this thing to that thing, and there's not a whole lot of thought that goes into it. You know, this isn't exactly what James says when he says we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, but I think the whole principle that is there is like, man, we've got this mind And we've got these people around us that could fill us with wisdom if we would just take the time to listen. Now, this verse, this last part of it says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and then what? Slow to become angry. I think it's really interesting that he uses this idea of anger, of all emotions. Uh, I want to read the rest of this, this little section. This is James 1, verse 20. He says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Of all the emotions that we possess, and we are a very broad-spectrum people, we can have all kinds of emotions. We've got 37 different words for the word anger, right? And, and we, can, we can break it down, we can break it down. But I think one of the most primal and raw emotions is anger. Can you, can you feel me on that? I mean, it's just, you're, you're going through life and something happens, and, and, you're, and your first response, maybe you've refined it a little bit, and you've been able to have more self-control and, and learn how to kind of control those emotions a little more uh, precisely, but... I think our first reaction a lot of times is just like, <laughs> you know, like anger. That's our immediate reaction to a lot of things because anger is kind of a default emotion. It can bridge the gap to any number of emotions. Anger can lead to, to jealousy. Anger can lead to maybe depression. Anger can lead to anxiety. Anger can lead to, uh, to despair or, 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 or disappointment. I mean, all these things, anger can just lead to all these different things, but it's, it's kind of primal. And I've heard it said that anger is just one letter short of the word danger because if you let anger go unguarded and unchecked it can hurt you anger is an emotion that we enter into with the desire to do wise things is it we get angry and it's like we're not like i'm so angry i wonder what the wise decision is (laughs) you know we're like i'm angry i want to break something i want to lash out i want to retaliate it's a short fuse solution that we lean on until we decide what to do next that's what anger is, and Jesus and other Bible teachers, they talk about anger a lot, and so, you know, I want to take just a second, kind of a little sidestep, but it is very important about this quick and slow thing. Um, talking about anger, there's a missionary named Paul, I mentioned him a minute ago, he writes a, a letter to the church in the city of Ephesus, the book is called Ephesians, it's in the New Testament of the Bible. He says some things, the little first section in Ephesians 4.26 says this, he says, in your anger, do not sin. We're going to pause right there. We're going to get to the rest of it, but just check that out. In your anger, do not sin. So there are ways to be angry without being sinful. 
without dishonoring God. I think of Jesus who does this. Uh, there's one instance in the Bible where Jesus goes to the temple, and he's going there because that's what Jewish people did. It was a place that was supposed to be a place of worship, a place where you could kind of meditate on God and learn about his goodness. And when he walks in, he finds that there are some crooked businessmen in there who have taken the space of the temple, and they're using it to trick people into paying them money for worship. And, and Jesus is like, what? And so he flips out. The Bible says he gets angry and he literally starts flipping over tables. It says he fashions a whip. And it's like Indiana Jones style. And he goes around and he's running people out. And he says, you people have turned the house of worship into a den of robbers. Jesus is angry. Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. Why did Jesus get away with this? Why was it okay? Because in his anger... You know, he had this righteous anger. He was trying to help goodness prevail. And so it's why when you see someone, I don't know, be, being abusive to a child or someone that's in poverty and, and, and it's like not their fault. They're just a victim of a system. And you see these things, these injustices, and you're like, that's, that makes me feel something. It's okay to be a little bit angry about that. But Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. I love the last part of this verse. He says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. The idea about anger is that it can't be something that we hold on to. There's this guy named Calvin Miller. Uh, he's one of my favorite writers and preachers. He's, he's an older fellow now, but he's been a great mentor to a lot of guys. And in, in a book that he wrote, he says this thing about what he calls second day anger. I'm going to say the phrase second day anger. I want to ask you, do, do you relate with that? Like first day anger is somebody does you wrong. Second day anger, you've been stewing on it, right? He says second day anger, this tendency to nurse our anger, I'm going to, this is reading a quote from his book, this tendency to, to nurse our anger overnight always builds to a grudge which eats at the soul and finally rots it with cynicism. And over time, a grudge becomes poisonous bitterness. Is there something that you've been holding on to? Somebody did you wrong a long time ago. Maybe it was a little thing. Maybe it was a big thing. But because you have not been able to get past that day and that moment, the anger has festered inside of you. In fact, it's not eating them away, and that makes you even more angry. It's dangerous. Second day anger, third day anger, third week, maybe you're in like year 19 of anger. And I want to tell you guys, in your anger, do not sin. Don't be quick to become angry. Do your best. You might just, We're not going to work this out today, by the way. Like, if you got that going on, seriously. Try to get some help. Find some counseling. Find a good Christian friend that you can talk to or just someone that you can just trust and say, listen, I got this anger thing. Do you know anything about working on that? Because if you don't, it eats you alive and it's dangerous and it's hurtful. And I think that's important why, Paul, why, why James says, in, uh, don't become angry quickly. It doesn't need to be our default emotion. We need to be able to harness that. Proverbs 29, there's a great book in the Bible called Proverbs and it just has a lot of wise sayings. And one thing he says is, fools give vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. We've got to get a hold of that anger. Road rage has got to go. It's not fruitful. It's not helping anybody. Don't be quick to become angry. And so he says these things. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because the, the, this anger does not produce a righteousness that God desires. And then verse 21 this is where it kind of gets to a kind of an application point where we can really learn something. He says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth. He's talking about this festering anger. He's talking about all the other moral filth that's going along. I like that it even tags on and evil. Moral filth and evil is so prevalent. And humbly accept the word planted in you, 
which can save you. Get rid of moral filth. Let's leave that verse on the screen for a second. Um, I want to teach you a, a Greek word today. Um, actually, we'll have to change it because it's on the screen. The word is apotithemi. Can you say apotithemi? Everybody say that. Apotithemi. Oh, let's go again. Apotithemi. Let's hear it. Yeah, your scholars. Apotithemi. It's the word that's translated get rid of or, or uh, he says rid yourself of all moral filth and evil. This word apotithemi, it's got a really cool meaning that it can be applied to it. Um, when they would use this word, it would often be used in a very common setting like uh, removing a garment of clothing. I might take off my shirt or my coat or my hat. Apotithemi. I'm going to apotithemi my hat. I'm going to take it off. It's this idea to get rid of or to, to take off or remove. And so I have this pair of bedroom shoes. Man, these things were so comfortable. They were like the best. You ever got a, like some really comfortable clothes that you wear around, like maybe just this shirt, this hoodie that you've been wearing, and it's like, it's so comfortable, but it thing is wretched. Like, it's been around too long. I used to wear these shoes out uh, in the yard, in public, on camping trips, where I mow the grass in these bedroom shoes. Like, as soon as I came home, I put them on, and these things were ragged. They were so bad off, like I had, like, toes poking out on the sides, and I would even go back, I, like, just, I, t- I tried to sew it shut, I tried to use some duct tape, but those things were comfortable, man. I love those things. You ever had that kind of shoes? I loved them. And, but my family would rag me for them. So I'd go to like, you know, family Christmas time and I'd prop my feet up on the, 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 the coffee table and my family's like, Chris, you still wearing those? How, how old are those shoes, man? They're ragged. You need to take those things off. And I tried. I really did. Like I wanted to get new shoes because these things, they were literally hard to keep on my feet because they were falling to pieces. But they were so comfortable. And so I'd go to stores and I'd try on different ones. And, and, and my wife, I know, she was so patient. She's, how about these? And I'm like, no, it's just not the same, <laughs> you know. And I bought them from Target originally, but Target had quit carrying this pair. I'm ah, oh, I guess I'll have to wear these forever. And people got me for, for Christmas and for birthdays. They, they Literally, people got me bedroom shoes. I'm like, I'm sorry, I just can't wear these. They're just not as comfortable. Last Christmas, my mother-in-law did an amazing thing. She gets up with my wife and she says, I need you to find out like the, the brand and the model number and anything you can find out that was left on those bedroom shoes. And she did like this super awesome internet search because we live in Amazingnessville. And she found them. She found them online and she shipped them to me. I got them for Christmas and they're awesome. In fact, I got them right now and I'm going to put them on because these things are just comfortable. Um, she got me these shoes and I got to be honest, as soon as I slipped on my feet, I was like, oh, old friend. <laughs> I forgot what it was like and that they look all right and, 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 and they, they don't have holes in them and actually my feet don't get cold wearing them. But what did I do with my old slippers? Apotithemi. I had to take them off. Not only that, I had to rid myself of them. We, uh, it was very important to me that we honor these shoes. And so we actually gave them a, uh, a Viking funeral. You're familiar with that? You build like a pyre of wood and you lay them to rest to their final melted rubber resting place. I literally did that. My kids were like, my dad is crazy. He's burning his shoes. And I may have cried a little bit. Apotithemi. You got to rid yourself of some things that may be old and wretched. And here's the thing. Often those things are very comfortable. And they are hard to get rid of. And you're like, if I get rid of this from my life, if I rid myself, as it says in that verse, can we go back to it? Let's rid yourself of all moral filth and evil. And you're like, but I know, but that's so comfortable. Where am I ever going to find anything so comfortable and familiar? Because this is just what I do. 
This is the language that I use. This is how I carry myself. This is how I dress myself. This is the type of friends that I hang out with. These are my hobbies. These are my things I'm interested in. And they're comfortable. And James says, me. You got to take it off. But it doesn't leave us hanging. He says, listen, the, the cool thing is this. I can give you something even more comfortable than the thing you were wearing before. It's like brand new, and it's designed to be the way that you were designed to live. We hang on to moral filth and evil like a security blanket. Like, this is me. These are my habits. These are my things. This is what makes me me. But if you're willing to apotithe me, to rid yourself of those things, man, there's something way better and way more comfortable that you can put on. In fact, James, the former skeptic, has a suggestion for you. This is in the last part of James, verse 21. He says, but humbly accept the word of God that has been planted in you, which can save you. Moral filth and evil is something that we should take off. And James found that the word of God was something worth putting on. In our time left today, I want to talk about the Word of God. And, and, and if this is what we're supposed to be putting on, you're kind of like, how do I do that? Like, do I wear a Bible on my head for a good posture? I don't understand how I put on the Word of God. James talks about the Word, and he's talking about the truth of God that is delivered to us uh, in all kinds of ways. The, the Word is definitely a reference to the Bible. I've got a Bible up here on stage. If you've got a Bible with you right now, I'd like you just to put your hand on it. Maybe even if it's your app on your phone, just open it up, because we're going to be just talking about the Bible for just a brief minute here. The Bible is, uh, is definitely one thing that is being referenced throughout the Bible when it talks about the Word of God. It's the message of God. It's been preserved for generations by, by being written down. And so James, as he was talking to these Jewish Christians that he was writing to, he says, yeah, I'm talking about the Bible that you guys read. And for them, it was mostly, it was the Old Testament. The New Testament was still being lived out. It hadn't been written all down yet. And so he's talking about the Bible. But he's also talking about other things. He's talking about the fact that there are good God-honoring teachers out there who are constantly bringing word to people. It's preachers, it's teachers. It might have been your mom or your dad or your grandma. It's someone that you hear on the radio or someone here on TV. You can hear it in books, you can hear it in songs. It's the word of God. And I'm not talking about blindly following a cult leader who says, all right, let's all drink the Kool-Aid. One, two, three. No, no, no. The things that these teachers are saying can be referenced against the Bible. So people are speaking outside of this book, then you say, I'm not sure where you got that. But within the boundaries of the book, you say, that's God's word, and I want to apply it to my life. And he says, accept the word of God that has been planted in you. He says, we must accept it. Remember, James is really laying on some wise words. And so this last chunk is huge as we considered what we do with the word. I don't know about you, but I'm constantly looking for a better way to do stuff. Literally, I really did want some new bedroom shoes because they were getting to a point where they were difficult to wear. <laughs> But I'm always looking for better ways to do stuff. Like when I mow my grass, I literally, every time I mow my grass, I do it a little bit different. I'm like, hey, what if I went around this tree first? That might have saved me some time. And it might not. <laughs> but at least I'm trying. I'm constantly making note of the things that make life easier. You know that internet, uh, social network, Pinterest, right? And people go around and they're like, find, oh, that's neat. That's cool. I didn't know you could do that with mason jars. And you would post it and everyone can see that you looked at it. But most of those things, really a lot of those things, they, they make life easier. That's what happens in my head all day long. I'm like human Pinterest. I'm like, that's a good idea. I need to pin that. You know, I'm walking around and I'm pinning things. And in my life, when I get down to them, I'm like, ooh, I remember that thing. It made this task a little bit easier, a little bit faster. And that's exactly what James does here in verse 22. He says, look, I could tell you to rid yourself of all moral filth and evil. But you already knew that. 
Nobody wants to be completely in a scary, darky, dark place. Like, that's not what anybody wants. You already knew that. And I could tell you that it's smart to control your anger and be slow to speak. But you already knew that. But if there's anything that I believe would help you on this journey, it's a part about the word. And so he says in verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. We're going to stop just right there before we finish that out. You, you can come and sit in church every single week. You can. People have done it for generations. You can come and sit and you can listen, listen, listen. But if you don't make a determined effort to do this stuff, to apply it to your life, to actually go out of the walls of this building and go do something different because of something that you heard, then you will never, ever, ever experience the fullest life that God wants for you to have. You can't. Some people treat Jesus the way they treat their car inspection. Maybe you're this person. You're like, I, I think the, the depth of the tread is more of a suggestion. I don't know. Uh, and, and then you've always got a guy who's like, you know, I know a guy. Yeah, he'll pass your inspection for you. Yeah, you don't, even, you don't even have to have a driver's license or a car. He'll just give you inspection stickers. Just you can take them, put them on your bicycles. It doesn't matter. If, if you're that mechanic, don't do that, man. My kids are in my car. Someone with bald tires needs new tires. It's dangerous. Inspections are important. Now, don't get them into bureaucracy and red tape and government. Like, that's a whole different soapbox that I don't do here. But, you know, like, but there are certain things in life that we do need to take seriously. But some people treat Jesus the way that they treat their car inspection. And they're like, okay, but what's the bare minimum that I have to do to be good? Like, church attendance? Is that mandatory? Okay. Is that I'm going to church? Okay. Like, but how often? Like, every week or just like maybe once a year? Is that cool? Or, and I'm not, like, maybe I'm stepping on toes, but I'm, I'm not just saying this to be divisive. I'm saying it to go like, yeah, I do that sometimes. I'm like, okay, but this is, but is that what he really meant? And we, we try to just, what is the bare minimum? How close can I get to the line of where I'm not supposed to be and still be good? Is that okay? And, you know, the Bible, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there. I kind of disagree with some of it. Like, do I have to, can I just skip that part? Is that okay if I just skip that part? Because I don't really agree with that. Because it's, I don't know, I think it's stupid, so I'm not going to do it. And we do this all the time. And, and I think that sometimes we're just like, yeah, I just kind of wanted to get the heaven part. So if we could just have that, what's the bare minimum? And James says, man, don't just listen to the word. Do what it says. Let it change your life. I love, he says, don't just listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. You, you are lying to yourself if you think you can just kind of skim by God. Because God has this amazing plan for you and he wants it for you. But he says, don't just listen to the word, do what it says. I can tell you from experience that when I seek wisdom and guidance in everyday life from godly counsel and from the Bible, I am blown away how much it dramatically changes and orients and clarifies my life. And when I try to do it on my own or do it halfway, it just doesn't work. There's a book of the Bible called Hebrews, and he says something about the Word of God, and, and, and he says this. He says, the Word of God is living and active. Why is the Bible valuable? Because the Word of God is living and it's active. Somehow God has been able to create a book, the Bible, that is so dynamic that it can speak to you at any time of your life, no matter what you're going through. 
That's why over 5 million Bibles are published each year in 1,800 different languages. And people have continued to read it for several thousand years because it's a living book. And it can be applied to any culture, any time, any circumstance. Listen to it. And I'm amazed every time that I open the Bible and I'm going through something in life, and it's a verse that I have read before. But as I read it with fresh eyes, with what I'm going through right now, I'm like, that spoke to me. Wow. That's actually going to make life better for me. Right now. Now, this whole idea of getting into the Bible, uh, if you've never spent much time in the Bible, don't worry. You're not alone. Uh, I would wager that many people who call themselves Christians don't ever open their Bibles. And uh, I'm guilty of it myself a lot. I'm like, oh, wow, it's been several weeks since I literally just sat down just to read and learn something. And so maybe it's kind of hard. And so I want to give you kind of an idea, something that you can do on your own that just kind of will, will help you get into the Bible. This is what's really cool. Uh, maybe you're here today and you don't even really believe in God and you don't even get the Jesus thing and you're like, I don't know, I'm just trying out church because I just was going to try it out. The cool thing is, this can work for you too. There's a book in the Bible called Proverbs. I used it a little while ago. It's almost right in the middle of the Bible. You can open it up. It's, there's an index at the front of most Bibles and you can find the book of Proverbs. Even if you're not a Christian, even if you don't believe in God, the book of Proverbs was written a guy named, by a king named Solomon, and he has been renowned throughout history as one of the wisest men to ever live. And he wrote these Proverbs, and you've heard these things quoted in movies and throughout history by people who had no idea they were quoting the Bible, so you don't have to believe in God or Jesus for this to work for you, okay? Open the book of Proverbs, and there are uh, 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. There are roughly 30 days in most months, except for February, because it's confusing. And you can literally, whatever day it is, you're like, you know what, I think I'm just going to try to listen to the Word of God. Open the Bible. What day is it? Today is the 13th. I'm going to open to Proverbs 13, because today's the 13th. Try this. It'll blow your mind. And just read it. Read as much of it as you can handle. Some of it's written like, like bullet point, bullet point, bullet point, bullet point of all these different wise things. Some of them are like a longer narrative that you have to read a couple paragraphs. Try it. And we're going to do it right here today. We're not going to do all of chapter 13, but I'm just going to show you this word. I literally, I was working on this message. I looked at the calendar, said today's going to be the 13th, and so I want to try this live. I didn't even, and I said, okay, I'm going to try Proverbs 13, 13, because we don't have time to go through the whole chapter. So let's just do it. We're going to do it live right here. This is what you could do with your life. Proverbs 13, 13, I'm going to put it on the screen. It says this, whoever scorns instruct, let's get it on the screen. Do we have Proverbs 13, 13? There it goes. Um, whoever scorns instru- instruction will pay for it. But whoever respects a command is rewarded. As com- Ironically, that would be a great verse just to go with what I'm already talking about, talking about taking your time and being wise. It's just one verse randomly chosen. But what would happen if you didn't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, but do what it says? So you go, well, this is pretty good advice. Whoever scorns instruction will pay for it, but whoever respects command is rewarded. How would that change your work environment? If you recognized who was in charge and the, the flow of command, and what, what if you were better at following instructions? Maybe you're pretty good at it, but what if you just tried to be better at it? Would it improve your life? Yeah. If you uh, can, can, can learn how to respect command and instruction, it'll change your life. Now, this is a tiny, tiny, tiny illustration. I, I know I didn't change anybody's life today with that little illustration. The point is this. If you open the Bible, and you would take some time to just figure out what's in there, not merely listen to it, but do what it says, it will dramatically clarify and reorient your life. And man, you can live a life unbelievably awesome based on the principles that God has for you. And so James says, man, don't be quick to speak. Be slow to speak. Be quick to listen. Don't be quick to get angry. Be slow to be angry. Take off the moral filth. 
Take it off. Apotithemi. Remove it. Get rid of it. And put on the Word of God. And if you can do that, not merely listening, but doing what it says, it will change your life. Um, I got this mirror on stage, and I apologize. We moved it earlier. It was blinding someone over there. I'm really sorry. That was just bad planning. <laughs> but this mirror represents something. Uh, for many of you, you probably used it this morning. You sat down, and you were just like, <whistles> fixing my hair, brushing my teeth, blemishes, right? That's what we do in mirrors. It represents something. This mirror represents you. Now, I'm not going to get like on the Dove commercials and talking about how we Photoshop people's faces and everyone's beautiful on the inside. Like, that's not what this is about. You know what you look like and you know what you're all about. And when you look in the mirror, this is a place where you can actually stand. And I'm going to look at it while I talk. You can actually stand and you can like give yourself a pep talk or you can cut yourself down or whatever you do in this mirror. It represents who you are. You know who that is, right? That's you. And when you walk away from this, do you know who you are? Absolutely. You are so keenly aware. In fact, even without this mirror, if I asked you what you look like, you would be able to imagine what you look like in the mirror. James talks about this in relationship to, uh, in relationship to what we're reading here. He says this, uh, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks in his face in a mirror. But after looking at himself, he goes away and he immediately forgets what he looks like. You don't do that. You know who you are, and you look at yourself, and you walk away, and you know who you are. And this is what he says. He said, this word of God is like a mirror. Let's look at the last section of this, the next verse. He says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in all that they do. And so going from this mirror where you actually see your physical self and you know some things about yourself, I want you to consider this for a second. What if the Word of God is a mirror for you to look into? But it's, instead of being a mirror that represents exactly who you are, it's a representation of who you could be. Or maybe what God has designed you to be. Or maybe what God desires you to be. And you look into it and you stare into it and you don't just listen to the Word, but you walk away changed. I want to encourage you to spend some time looking into this mirror this week. Maybe you don't believe in God. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're hanging out with us. I'm glad you trusted us with your time. But try it. Just try it. Look in. Look intently into the Word. And you know what it says? It says it will set you free. James, half-brother of Jesus, learned that by looking into the true Word of God, it could change your life. And so he set off on a mission to change the world. He became a leader at a local church, just like a church like this. He began to correspond with people who were far from God, just like maybe you've done. You've come in, you didn't know anybody thing about God, and you met somebody who went to church here, and you came here. And it changed their life in person by person. He taught them to look intently into the Word of God, recognizing what it can do for you. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak, slow to become angry. Apotithemy, the moral filth and evil that's all over this world. And humbly accept the word of God that's been planted in you. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. We thank you for James, your servant, and just the things he teaches us about, I don't know, life and, and, and goodness and the fact that um, I just appreciate James. Maybe I read too much in between the lines with him, but I just feel like, He's a guy who could have gone either way, and he could have said, no, nah, I'm, I'm going to be one of the dudes yelling, crucify him to Jesus. Yeah, I think my brother's crazy. 
But he saw what you did on earth, and he said, I want, I want to be part of that. Thank you for him leaving the legacy of the book he wrote and the people who followed in his footsteps that undoubtedly changed the world for the better and left us in a place where we can now know more about you. Lord, thank you for opening our eyes to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.